Turn with me to John chapter 10. We'll be in John, the end of John chapter 9 a little bit, but then mostly in uh, John chapter 10 this morning as we look at the third I am statement of Jesus in the book of John, I am the door. But a few questions before that, kind of setting the context and understanding uh, more of the analogy that's used here in John 10 that is maybe lost on us in a great way uh, here in America. So let me ask you this. How many of you have spent a significant amount of time around sheep? You spent a significant amount of time around sheep. Raise your hand. <laughs> Yolanda's like, what? <laughs> now, if I, were, if I had asked how many of you have spent a significant amount of time around dogs, many more hands would go up, right? I mean, some like, yeah, the dog sleeps in my bed and we, you know, we take walks and I feed the dog and all, all, all kinds of stuff. But in our culture, that's not as common. Uh, but it certainly was in Jesus' day. That was very much a part uh, of culture back in that day. But let me ask you this. How many of you have, you own something that is made out of wool or sheepskin. You own something, wool socks, a wool scarf, a wool coat, a wool hat, or something made out of sheepskin. Raise your hand if you've got something made out of wool or sheepskin. Don't be embarrassed. Yes, yeah, I've, I've got it. You're probably not wearing it today because it's summer and hot. But that's just a reminder of this is still an industry. This is still important. Um, of course, you know, uh, in other parts of the world, uh, more prevalent than here in America. In fact, China has about 175 million sheep. Can you imagine that? That's over half of the population of our entire country. If you were to compare sheep to humans, they have over 175 million sheep. Australia has over 75 million sheep. India has around 54 million sheep. Uh, even Brazil is in the top 20 countries with sheep, and they've got 21.6 million sheep. Now, the USA really doesn't rank very well, but there are a couple states that have quite a few sheep comparatively, and Texas is one of them. Is Samuel here? No. Oh, Samuel. So Texas, coming from uh, Samuel State there, 735,000 sheep. Did you ever spend any time with any of those, Samuel? Can't say that I did, he says. <laughs> nope, 735,000 in the state of Texas. This was surprising to me. How about the state of California? 570,000 sheep in the state of California. So there's certainly areas of the world, even areas of our country, uh, that have a lot more sheep than what we're familiar with. And so in those areas, people would understand this a little bit more. And certainly back um, in Jesus' day, and there were a lot of people all throughout uh, the Old Testament even, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, soon after creation, Abel was a shepherd, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of Jacob's sons, including uh, Joseph at times, were, were shepherds. Um, even Rachel, before marrying Jacob, uh, the Bible tells us that she was a shepherdess. Amos, one of the Old Testament prophets, prophets, was a shepherd. Of course, then in Luke 2, uh, the angel and then, and then the multitude of angels announced to shepherds while they were tending and keeping their flock at night. They announced the, the coming or the birth of Jesus, rather. So this is an illustration and an analogy that when Jesus spoke this, uh, many of them understood right away and had the, the imagery and had probably even personal experience with spending time with sheep. But the Jesus I am statement, I am the door, 
we, we finished up in the last part of uh, John chapter 9, and we see, first of all, a contrast of people. There's no break between when Jesus heals the blind man in John chapter 9 and the beginning of John chapter 10. So even though we have a chapter division, in the sequence of time, there appears to be no break at all. So uh, from everything that we can gather, Jesus is talking to the same group of people He's just healed the blind man. There's been some uh, tension because of that. Some of the Jews believed. Other Jews did not believe in, in Christ and were upset, you know, that this miracle had, been hap- had happened, especially on the Sabbath. So let's look, first of all, the contrast of people, those who can see spiritually and those who are blind spiritually. And look with me again at John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, referring to the former blind man that was healed. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? So they're already on edge, especially the Pharisees that that do not. They've already determined in their heart they don't want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're looking for any way they can trap him. As we saw in the beginning of John chapter 8 with the adulterous woman, they're looking for ways that they can trap him. Uh, They want to do away with Christ. Uh, He's he's messing up their plan and they're standing. And so they say, are we also blind? Notice this, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. So Jesus speaking to this incredulous or unbelieving group of Jews says, you know, you claim to see, and they've, they've made reference that they were disciples of Moses, and they've made reference to Abraham. Um, and so certainly they have knowledge of Old Testament scriptures. But Jesus says, because you say that you see, you actually are spiritually blind. That's the first contrast we see. Second contrast, we, then, now we're into John chapter 10. We see those who can hear the true shepherd and those who cannot hear the true shepherd. In a way, John chapter 10 is, is interesting because there, there are several metaphors, there, there are several analogies. It all relates to sheep and the sheepfold and a shepherd, but it's almost as if as Jesus is kind of analyzing it from, from various angles. So if you start from the beginning of John chapter 10 and try to, try to carry that, that one metaphor all the way through, there's some things that are confusing. But if you understand that Jesus is, is picking out several angles of the same general analogy, it'll help you to understand a little bit more. And this is what we see in the beginning of John chapter 10. His emphasis, although he's going to say later, I am the good shepherd, um, and, and even we're going to see this warning, I am the door. His emphasis here in the beginning of these verses in John chapter 10 seems to show that I want to, with this group of unbelieving Jews, I want to point out why they are not responding to me as shepherd. Why are they not hearing my voice? So you see this contrast, those who can hear the true shepherd, those who cannot hear the true shepherd. Look in verse 1 of John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I think it's helpful. This picture here is is of a, you know, an an old sheepfold and uh, this would be common. Now there's two kind of Two different types of sheepfolds. One was a communal sheepfold that was usually closer to a village or more people where the sheep, uh, I'm sorry, where the shepherds would be out with their sheep during the day and, and finding pasture and leading them. And then in the evening would lead them back into the communal uh, sheepfold. And there would be a gatekeeper. There would be someone who's responsible then to stay through the night uh, and, and with those sheep. Now, there were different flocks then in that communal sheepfold. There were several flocks uh, that were, would mix and mingle. Then in the morning, the shepherd would come back, and the gatekeeper would recognize this is truly one of the shepherds that left his sheep here, so I'm going to let him come into the sheepfold. The, sheep, the shepherd then would call his sheep, And as they would listen and hear his voice, those sheep would go out with that shepherd. Then another shepherd would come and call his sheep. So that's kind of a communal sheepfold. There's also, as they were out into the pastures and maybe didn't make it back to the city or the village, they would have individual sheepfolds. Sometimes this might even be a cave where uh, they would take their sheep into the cave and then leave a small opening uh, that the shepherd himself would stay through the night and would sit or, or sleep or lay across that opening. Sometimes they would, they would use branches and do kind of a circular structure like that, but out in the field, uh, it would be an individual sheepfold. And again, uh, what would happen is the shepherd himself then for his own flock would sit there and lay through the night. No sheep could get out and nothing could come in was the idea. No animals, wild animals, or even Uh, those that might want to steal the sheep. So this helps to understand a little bit the imagery and the example and the metaphor uh, that he's giving uh, when he says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And Jesus is rebuking these Pharisees that have just uh, cast out the former blind man because the former blind man was, even before he was truly a follower of Christ and a, a genuine believer, he considered Christ to be a prophet. He considered Christ to be someone from God. And, and he boldly told that to the Pharisees and said, you know, I, I don't know all about Jesus, but I, I know that I was blind and now I see. I believe that Jesus was a prophet, he said. Um, and then at one point, even sarcastically, he says, you know, do you want to hear the story again, Pharisees? Do you want to be his disciples? And they were upset. They said, you know, you being born blind and you who basically are, are ignorant, you think you can teach us? And they cast him out of the synagogue. Uh, they, they consider themselves, we're going to see this in a minute, they consider themselves kind of the gatekeepers of the way to salvation and the way to gain favor with God. And so in this instance, they decided he's not worthy. We're going to cast him out. But Jesus is rebuking these Pharisees. And in essence, even all people in the future, if you don't hear my voice, it's because you don't belong to me. If you're not responding in faith and you're not uh, putting your faith in me as shepherd and as savior, it's because you are not one of my own. You're still part of the kingdom of Satan. Uh, You belong to another. In fact, John chapter 8, he says, you are of your father, the devil. 
So Jesus is, is giving a strong rebuke here. Also in John chapter 10, we see another contrast of believing Jews and unbelieving Jews. Certainly God had in his grace and his sovereignty, there were Gentiles uh, that throughout the Old Testament and even into the beginning of the New Testament had come to know God Jehovah and uh, were looking for the Messiah. But in large part, it was mainly the nation of the Jews. It was mainly the nation of Israel, uh, the people of the Jews that God had chosen to be his chosen generation. And so the beginning of this passage, that seems to be the focus, that you have uh, Jews, some believing, some unbelieving. Think back with me. John chapter 8, you had the Jews who brought the adulterous woman and cast her at Jesus' feet and said, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to stone her? That's what the law says. Uh, they, they were the accusers. That woman who was also a Jew, although in sin, she later believed in Jesus, it appears, because Jesus forgave her, did not condemn her, and said, go and sin no more. So even there's a contrast. The accusers did not believe. She did believe. In John chapter 9, the former blind man, John 9, 16, uh, 9, 16 says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So that was kind of their litmus test. Jesus healed on the Sabbath? Well, then he can't be from God. Because in their, in their traditions and what they had passed down orally, they had come up with certain regulations on what you could do on the Sabbath and what you couldn't do. And many of those went far beyond what were clearly written in the Old Testament scriptures. They became the tr traditions of men. This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was the, a, a division among them. So you had some who were like, no, I... We, we believe this guy, this man is from God. We, we do believe in him. And others are like, no, I, this, this is ridiculous. Some even claim that he had a demon and that he was a Samaritan and, and were livid that he would do a miracle on the Sabbath. The Pharisees kicked the former blind man out. He believed. They, the, some of the Pharisees did not. And then after Jesus boldly declares in this passage, I am the door, and showing a contrast you know, these, these Pharisees have kind of positioned themselves to be the gatekeepers and, and that they're uh, offering the way uh, that by keeping the law and the traditions of men, that's how you gain favor. And Jesus, in contrast, says, no, I am the door. That's not the way. That's not the door. I am the door. But after he says that, we see in John chapter 10, 19 through 21, and it'll be uh, up on the screen, it says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. And is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So again, we continue to see this contrast of believing Jews and unbelieving Jews. And initially, in John chapter 10, it seems like the focus is then more on the Jews as a people. Uh, a couple reasons why I, I think that's more likely is that later, uh, Jesus says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. And he's referring to Gentiles. That you know, there's going to be others that are going to be, become part of this one fold. And, and part of, uh, I'm going to be the one shepherd to them. So it seems like in the beginning, the, the focus is more on the Jews. Another idea is that if we look at the sheepfold as a, a strict analogy of heaven, no, nobody can 
get into the sheepfold of heaven and steal people out. That just doesn't happen. We're going to see later in John chapter 10 that once we're in the hands of Christ, God the Son, God the Father, nobody can pluck us out. Uh, so those are some reasons that I, I think it, it, the focus seems to be on the Jews here initially. And again, as I mentioned in John chapter 10, verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So let's, let's dive a little bit deeper here. The Jews, many of the Pharisees, they, they, their foundation was their heritage. We are of Abraham. We're disciples of Moses. We are of the circumcision. You see that throughout the New Testament. Think, look, look with me in Romans chapter 2 and verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. A few verses later in Romans chapter 2 and verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. As you go into the next chapter in Romans chapter 3, Romans 3, 9 through 12, it, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it very clear that both Jews and Gentiles are sinners. That neither Jew nor Gentile naturally seek after God. They were just born to, you know, say, yes, you know, we love God and just naturally seek after God. And then in Romans 3, verses 20 through 22, uh, you can read that later, but it, it teaches that Nobody can be justified by the law. So here you have these, these Pharisees and the scribes and uh, at some point even the Sadducees who are claiming and believing that, no, if we, if we follow all these things, if we follow the law and the oral traditions and uh, the traditions you know, that we, we hold high, that is how we gain access and favor with God. But through these passages, it's very clear the law was just meant to show us that we're sinners. The law was, the main purpose was to show us we can't keep all of the law. There's no way that, that on our own power that we can keep all the law. And James says, if you keep all the law but offend in one point, in essence, you're guilty of everything. So that totally wipes away our, our, our efforts and our thought that we could gain access. This is something that we looked at a week and a half ago about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That is a main belief system that they have, is if they do enough things and follow the, the things that their religion teaches, that will gain them access to God. But we see in Scripture there's no way that we can do enough to gain access and favor with God. Romans 3, verses 23 and 24. For all have sinned. This is still in the context of you know, Jews and Gentiles and circumcision and uncircumcision. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Then as we go into Romans 4, verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? So now Paul's getting right down to the nitty-gritty and saying, you know, we, we talk about Abraham and uh, we're, we're Jews and we have this, this heritage. So what was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Romans 4.2 says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. 
So Paul says, if Abraham was justified by works, if his justification came about by um, that he, he did this or he did that or later he was circumcised or, or whatever, if that was how he was justified, then Abraham has reason to boast. But notice Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the, the, the rest of the passage here in Romans chapter 4, going all the way through uh, chapter, or verse 12 of Romans 4, explains very clearly. Abraham did this, he believed in God and showed his faith before circumcision. And Paul makes a point of that, saying it, it's not the circumcision that justified Abraham, it was his belief in faith. So fast forward now, hundreds of years later in the New Testament, you still have Jews who are, are falling back on, it's my heritage, we're disciples of Moses, and we're from Abraham, and we're of the circumcision, and these are the traditions that we keep. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the door. That's not the way. It's not the way that the man was cast, former blind man, you were cast out. That's okay. That wasn't the right way anyway. I'm the door. I'm the way. Next, we see a, a contrast of spiritual leaders. A contrast of spiritual leaders. The Pharisees presented themselves as the door or the way for people to be changed outwardly through religion. The religious elite among the Jews they were the ones who determined who could or could not worship in the synagogue based on whether that person followed you know, what they thought was most important. Uh, they had already, as I mentioned, they had already tried to uh, kill unjustly an adulterous woman. They, they let the man go free. Both of them were caught in adultery, so where was the man? They let the man go free. They threatened to kick anyone out of the synagogue that, that confessed that Jesus was the Messiah. That's why the former blind man's parents, they were very vague in how they answered the Pharisees when questioned. You know, they, they brought, the Pharisees brought the parents before them and said, was this, is this your son? Was he born blind? And they said, yes, this is our son, and he was born blind. And then they asked, well, well then how was he healed? How was he given sight? And they were very vague, like, well, you know, we're not really sure, but he's of age. Ask him. And John puts the footnote in there that they answered that way because they feared the Pharisees, they feared that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. So they had positioned themselves as, we are the gatekeepers. We're the ones who can determine who kind of enters the fold and who has favor with God. And Jesus is saying, that, that this is, you're thieves and robbers. I'm the door. You're trying to get in some other way and you're trying to, to mix and mingle with the people of God, with the chosen people, the Jews, but you may have circumcision physically, but you certainly don't have it inwardly by the heart. You're unbelieving. There's a contrast of spiritual leaders. Notice with me Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9. During growth groups, Lord willing, you're going to look at this passage uh, in more detail and read more of it. But in, in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, Christ says, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus shows very clearly, you know, you're, you're teaching as doctrine, you're, you're teaching as, you know, what should gain favor and access to God. 
these are just traditions of men, but you're presenting them as commandments of God. In the growth groups, you're going to see one example of that, how they had basically curated and kind of formed and shaped and manipulated and found a loophole with the commandment of God to favor themselves. And so that's something that they could actually follow pretty easily. Now, I, I want to, at this point, I want to draw your attention to something. This is classic human nature. How many of you talked to a Pharisee last week? You've had coffee, you went to lunch, you, you've, you, rub, you rub shoulders with Pharisees on a regular basis. No one. So we may be tempted to look at this passage and go, well, Pastor Dave, that's all, that's interesting. Okay, a little picture of the sheepfold. Ooh, that's neat. But I, we're not with Pharisees. We don't have any Pharisees in Ackworth and Kennesaw and, and we don't have the, but the basic nature of man is very similar to what the Pharisees did. And it happens right here in 2023, all around Metro Atlanta, all in our nation, and all around the world. And it's this. As humans, we easily will take, if, even if we believe to hold description at some point, our tendency, if we're, if we're not careful, is to curate what we think we can follow and kind of come up with some of our own traditions and some of our own uh, definitions of this gains me favor with God. And so this is what I can do to gain favor with God. And certainly all the other religions basically are in essence a religion of works. You kind of have two peoples of the world. One who believes in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save us. It's not something that I can do to earn that. And then the rest of the religions of the world or non-religions, even the atheists. The rest of it is, it's all about what I can do or what I can think or my logic. And Jesus is saying, I'm the door. I'm the door. So even as we look at Pharisees, may you and I be reminded that this is the basic tendency of man. And we can identify that either in our own hearts, if we don't follow Christ yet as Savior and Shepherd, or to identify that in, in the philosophies and the world systems around us that we will not be distracted from following the true Savior. The Pharisees had put themselves as the gatekeepers, as kind of, you know, we are the ones uh, that gain favor with God. Notice then letter B, Christ declared himself, I'm sorry, let's look at John chapter 10, verses one through eight. I'm getting ahead of myself. John 10, verses one through eight. And on the screen, you'll see that I've, I've just taken a few phrases from these verses. So we're not going to read the whole verse. I want to uh, point out some of the things that show the thieves and robbers that these pharisaical leaders were. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So Jesus is making a very clear distinction of, hey, you Pharisees, you think you can kick people out of the synagogue? You think you can come up with your own traditions of men, your own definitions of how to gain favor and access to God? You're wrong. You are the thieves and robbers. You're trying to get into the people of God in a different way, and you're thieves and robbers. Christ then declared himself to be the only door for people to be changed inwardly through a relationship. The Pharisees, they, they wanted outward change through religion, through something you could do and rituals, and this is, this is how, what, what we do to be changed outwardly. Jesus says, 
Nothing's going to change outwardly unless you change inwardly through a relationship with me. John chapter 10, again, verses 1 through 9 now, and I'm going to pick out a few phrases that emphasize that. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And then once again he says, I am the door. The phrase, the sheep hear his voice, indicates a relationship that can't be enjoyed just by a religion that is followed, but it can only be enjoyed by a relationship that is enjoyed with Christ. He calls his own sheep by name, we see. He calls his own sheep by name. It's interesting, a few weeks ago, we were asked again by our neighbors to do some dog sitting, and this particular dog likes to stay in, in his house. It's right next to us, so uh, we don't even we bring the dog over to our house anymore. It's the dog's getting older, and anyway, stays in his house. So one evening, Kim said, hey, Dave, would you mind going over to the house and letting Shelby out and, and making sure he's got food and water? I'm like, sure. So I go over, you know, unlock, go inside the house. Shelby's on the couch in our neighbor's house. I'm like, okay, Shelby. All right, Shelby, it's time to go out. He does, Shelby does kind of look up, but that's it. Shelby's kind of deaf, so I'm going to say it again a little bit louder. Shelby, okay, Shelby, time to go. And I tried to be happy and like, Shelby, time to go outside. Let's go, let's go, Shelby. This time, Shelby didn't even move, didn't move a muscle. Just looked at me. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't want to pick this dog up. I mean, I, had, I tried a couple more times to no avail. So I go back and like him, I tried, but Shelby would not listen. I mean, just wouldn't move from the couch. I, well, I don't know what to do. Shelby knows Kim a lot better. And so Kim goes over and goes, Shelby, time to go out. Okay. <laughs> like, what? How has that happened? Jesus is saying, that's what happens with his sheep. The sheep hear my voice. They, they know me. They follow me. Lastly, for today, let's look at letter C. As a Christian, you must announce Christ as the only door and denounce all others who claim to be an open door to a better way of life. As a Christian, you must announce Christ as the only door and denounce all others who claim to be an open door to a better way of life. From the beginning of my time in ministry, there have been several occasions through the years that I have been challenged and I have been, um, you know, even... Uh, ridiculed, I guess, or, uh, or, or not misunderstood, that I would not fellowship with, with some who claim to be of faith and with some who would, would, in a general way, say the name of Jesus. But it's because with God's grace, and I, I'm, I don't, and I, and I only do this based on Scripture, but if someone doesn't believe that Jesus Christ, that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone, by grace and by faith, then I can't be in close partnership with that individual. 
They may be sincere, they may be good people, they may be kind, they may be doing some good things, but I have to be very careful to to what extent can I have fellowship because in the end, the gospel is the gospel. And so this is something that I ask that you pray for us even in, in ministries that we do. In Fellowship of Christian Athletes, for example, this has already come up as, you know, who do... Who can be invited to speak? What, what are, the, you know, what are the, the, the determining factors of who can speak at FCA? Is it just based on what students are in the school? And I've already had to say, no, I, it needs to be someone who believes that Jesus Christ, if salvation is through Jesus, through grace and faith alone. That has to be it. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm mad at everybody else, but I, but I have to say, I stand with Scripture. And this is the doctrine of salvation. So as believers, you and I, are, we, we rub shoulders with people at work, in our neighborhoods, and the hobbies that we do, restaurants that we frequent. And there's going to be a temptation sometimes for us just to, to go along with and to congratulate even you know, those who don't hold to that core doctrine of salvation because they're good people and they're nice and they're friendly and we don't want to offend I've been burdened to hear, you know, as I've talked about, and again, I'm not trying to lamb blast just the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I think it's important that we, we point out some differences. They are very sincere. We've been on a number of, of plane flights to and from Brazil where there were sometimes 10 or more young LDS missionaries that were sharp-looking young people and were kind And I admire their sincerity and their dedication, but unfortunately, their doctrine is so wrong. It doesn't go, it's not in accordance with Scripture. And I've been burdened recently, even by hearing others who claim to be true believers, but yet they celebrate these young missionaries, LDS missionaries, going on mission. And I'm thinking, how do you match that up? How do you claim to know Jesus Christ through salvation by grace and faith alone, but yet you're excited about a young person who's very deceived and is going to spend two years of his or her life trying to lead other people in that same deception that the Bible says, that is a thief and a robber. That is not the door. Jesus says, I am the door. I'm the only way. Any, any other way, how, how good it may look, how many good works may happen, but any other way, that is not the way I am the door. So as Christians, we'll be called to stand up and we we can do this with humility, but with courage. We can do this with love, but with conviction and say, listen, I I love you and I I respect you as a person, but I, I cannot depart from the conviction that salvation is by faith and grace alone through Jesus Christ, period. That's it. That's our message. So believers, as you have opportunities, don't back away from that. It's okay if you offend people in the gospel. Don't be, I'm not saying that you need to be offensive in how you do it, in the, in the attitude, in the spirit, but if the gospel itself offends someone, that's all right. Jesus offended a lot of people. So many, in fact, that they tried to stone him, they tried to throw him out, they plotted to kill him, the disciples the same way. So in our world today, don't be surprised when as we stand for the gospel, people will be offended, and that's okay, because we're following Christ first. 
But maybe you're here today and you might have fallen into some of those other thoughts and you may have been attracted to, well, this is a better way. Okay, the Christians have their way and Jesus says that he is the only door. Well, if that works for them, great. But I think it's a little more attractive, you know, this way to gain favor with God or, or this way to bring true satisfaction to life. And I want to challenge you and, and plead with you, even as we looked at last week, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, that God is working through us as believers to make an appeal to you to come to Christ. Christ says very clearly, he doesn't use a lot of beautiful language, but he just says, I'm the door. I'm the door. Don't be distracted by all these other things that they, they try to present themselves as the gatekeepers. I am the way. Come to me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish this morning?